following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning, as we come together in these moments that we have, we are going to continue our discussion that we began last week on ministry within the context of the church, our ministry, both personal and individual ministry, but our collective ministry uh, together as we share life together and mission and vision together, uh, of if Christ had a vision and a mission and a purpose as he came, then it would be important for us to know what that is and to align ourselves properly with him to say what his passions and concerns are should be our passions and concerns. The things that motivate his heart should be the things that motivate our heart. The things that break his heart should be the same things that break our heart because as disciples and followers of Christ and Christ coming and dwelling within us, uh, that then it, it would be normal, it would be reasonable for that to happen. And we said last week, uh, looking uh, at Matthew chapter 25, uh, that the Lord said that he came and he was caring for the least of these, and that within the context of a judgment scene, uh, he said at the end of the day, when all of the nations and every person was lined up around him, that he separated them. And he said to some at his right hand, he said to them, you get to enter into the kingdom and into my rest, for when I was hungry, you fed me, and when I was naked, you clothed me, and I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was in prison, you visited me. You did these things. And the people there, uh, the righteous who just heard that they got the golden ticket, they got to go into heaven. They're like, this is awesome. And then they were stunned, though, and they went, but when did we do those things? I don't remember seeing you in that. He said, as long as you did it, and as often as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Now, on the other side was a group of people who he said, but you don't get to go into the kingdom. You don't get to enter into eternal rest. You forever will be separated from me because you didn't feed me or give me drink or clothe my nakedness or visit me when I was in prison. You didn't do any of that. And they asked the same question, interestingly enough. Lord, when did we, when did we see this? When did we not do this? He said, as often as you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And therefore, leave me, depart from me, I don't know you. And what we realized, that at the very heart of the gospel message is that one who is transformed, not by works of the law, not by doing, but by what Christ has done on our behalf, that we receive uh, by faith through his grace given to us, that when that takes root within our lives, that it begins to naturally burden us for the things that Christ is burdened for, naturally gift us to minister in his name to the needs that are around us, to see with different eyes, uh, to have a heart that, that emotes differently, feelings that, that are peaked uh, and move in different ways that we can simultaneously feel joy and experience the joy of our salvation in Christ and, and be moved to tears uh, when we see the brokenness of the fall in the lives of so many around us and in our culture, that we are intrinsically and deeply and profoundly changed by our relationship with Christ. And we said, therefore, it would seem reasonable that the ministry mission and vision of the church to know Christ and to make him known would have to have as a very core component of its ministry at its very base a ministry to those who are the least of these. To identify who those individuals are, 
uh, to see them both within the context of the church and to serve their needs because there are many within our own context who are the least of these who are in need of our care and support within the church, so much so that God uh, gave an entire class of officers within the church, the deacons, to serve and to meet those needs. But then also to go out into the community and see the needs of the world around us and to express the love of Christ to them uh, in the world by going and visiting them and caring for them, feeding them, providing for them uh, out of the rich vastness of the resources that God has given to us that we go and serve. And that would have to be a part of what our church is to be. And so we said last week, or I said last week, that that's that's a trajectory for us. That's where we're going to be heading. And I heard from several folks this week saying, okay, what do we need to do? What's the plan? Well, let me let you in on an insight. What I gave you last week was truly that. It's a trajectory. There's not necessarily a plan uh, hooked to it at this point other than to say uh, this is the direction Uh, that we're going to be heading and we're going to be asking questions and looking at all of our ministries uh, and saying to our ministries of crossroads, saying to the ministries of student ministry, saying to our children, saying to our men, uh, saying to the young at heart, saying to all the ministries that we have at our church, in the heart of it, at the core, in some part, in some thread of your DNA, is there a care for those who in your midst are the least of these? And if there's not, why are we doing that ministry? That we shouldn't be doing ministry just to do ministry and just to have it on the plate so that when someone visits the church and they ask, do you have this kind of ministry? We were able to say, well, yes, we do. But we want to have ministry that is vital and that matches the ministry that the Lord would have. And so that's your trajectory. So this week I was working and working and coming up with ideas of, okay, now what are we going to do? This was going to be the to-do uh, sermon this week of, all right, guys, uh, let's, uh, let's look here, and we're going to do this, and we're going to then tackle this, and we're going to form this uh, committee and, uh, and this team, and we're going to mobilize all of our resources, and some of you are going to get real excited about that, and, and I, as a good pastor, was going to drop just enough guilt uh, and enough shame uh, in there uh, that I'd really get you motivated to go out because you don't like to feel guilty And you don't want to not please God. And so I do just enough of that to touch on that people-pleasing thread that you have within your heart. Uh, And we would just be awesome. We'd get going. But it dawned on me. What I said last week, it shouldn't have shocked one of you. It shouldn't have been new information for any of you that are here, unless you're new to the church and new to Christianity. And so I was struck this week. We know what to do. We know we're supposed to care for people. We know we're supposed to steward well the things that we have uh, so that we can meet the needs of other people. And that we saw last week that it wasn't these big miracles that Christ was talking about, but it was simple, small ministries, little ministries strung together of going. No one was freed from prison. No one was healed in the midst of that. No one was, was, got their sight back but they were just ministered to in small ways. And you all know that, right? That that's what we're supposed to do. So the question then becomes, why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we doing it? What's hindering us? What's keeping us from, as individuals, 
going and doing those things on our own, not waiting for the organization of the church to set it out in front of us uh, to do, but as individuals just to be motivated on our own to look around within the spheres of influence in which we find ourselves, that, that for a teenager or for a student uh, in high school or elementary school or in college, that they, being gripped by the power of the Holy Spirit, just automatically walk onto the college campus and instead of gravitating towards all the cool kids who they used to hang out with, they look around to the marginalized And because of the motivation of Christ within them, they don't wait for Tim and the youth ministry to start a marginalized student ministry. But they naturally move towards the one who's sitting by themselves. Or maybe it's the one who has the bad reputation, who got out and got all messed up and is now sort of lost in it. And they find within the cultures of Bluffton and of Hilton Head Island that we don't do a really good job of letting anybody's reputation be cleared. We like to point back to how they used to be, and oh, we know that person. And so they're just stuck in that world, but yet one who's motivated by the gospel and changed by Jesus Christ, who didn't hold our old reputation against us, but changed our reputation in Christ, who came and loved us in the midst of our mess, entered into the chaos, instead of standing on the outside wondering why we're in it, that that student would naturally begin to move over there. Does Tim and our student ministry need to to highlight that? Of course they do, but it should just be natural. How about in your neighborhoods? All of you live in neighborhoods, right? Your neighborhood may be a big field, and the next field, I mean, it may be out in the country, but it's somewhere you're in relationship with other people. You don't need the church to tell you that you should look around and find and care for the needs of other people, right? So, with that being said, here's what we're going to do this week. We're going to look at and find the cause of why we aren't caring and serving and meeting the needs of the least of these. We're going to look at a consequence that happens to us and to the church as a whole of when we aren't caring for the needs of these. And then we're going to look at a cure. And we're going to see that there's a cure uh, for this uh, that then leads us out uh, to care for the least of these. And the place that we're going to go is one that you would fully expect us to go, and that's into Jeremiah chapter 9. Because when you think of mercy ministry and care to the least of these, you naturally think of a time of judgment within Israel when God was going to punish his people. But you're going to flip with me, if you can, over to Jeremiah chapter 9. I believe it's on the screen as well. And we're going to hear from God's word together this morning. Beginning in verse 20. Hear, O women, the word of the Lord, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach to your daughters a lament. And each to her neighbor a dirge. Those are sad songs. Those are deep, moving, heart-wrenching. For death has come up into our windows. It has entered our palaces, cutting off the children from the streets and the young men from the squares. Speak, thus declares the Lord. The dead bodies of men shall fall like dung upon the open field, like sheaves after the reaper, and none shall gather them up. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Egypt and Judah and Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, 
and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of it. It's important for us to diagnose the problem. Because if we don't diagnose the problem, then we're going to be treating just the symptoms of the problem. If we don't recognize what's really going on within us, uh, we'll never be able to get to the root of it. And if you are suffering from a particular form of cancer, uh, you want your doctor to know what kind of cancer you're suffering from, what kind of ailment that you have, so that they won't just treat uh, the outside symptoms of it, but they'll be able to go in and they'll be able to treat the actual problem. And in the curing of the actual problem, uh, in the removal of or killing of the bad cells, uh, the replacement of those with proper healthy cells, uh, that God in some sense here is recognizing and saying, hey folks, your spiritual marrow is dying. Your spiritual marrow is poisoned and I need to give you a marrow transplant. I need to come in and give you this at the very heart and soul of who you are. My word is going to cut even quicker right into the joint in between marrow and bone. And in doing so, I want to put in there new marrow. Because we know that marrow within the human anatomy is the life-giving place. It's where, uh, where life comes from and it feeds our bodies and it feeds us. And we know that it then produces a healthy life. And so we need to look at the cause. And then we need to look and say, okay, there's a cause. But big deal. There's this stuff that's going on. But then we see, have to see that there's a, there's a consequence Boy, we live in a culture that doesn't like consequence, don't we? Nobody wants to get caught for anything. And when we do get caught for something, when we do see something wrong, what do we naturally do? It was, your kid got an F. Guess whose fault it is? It's the teacher's fault. Because your teacher didn't treat him right and didn't hug him enough or something like that. It wouldn't possibly be the fact that your kid plays Nintendo and Xbox for 25 hours a day. Couldn't possibly be that. No, but it's somebody else's fault. Or that your marriage isn't, uh, isn't revitalized. It's not healthy and it's not in the middle, but it's got to be your husband or your wife. It's their fault. It couldn't possibly be your fault in the middle of that. Your business isn't going well, but it's just it's the way things are. It's not me. I'm... So we always want to look to other people, and the consequence of it we don't want to see. We blame. But then in here we're going to see the consequence, and we're going to see that there's a cure for it, though. So in these few minutes that we have, let's talk together. Cause. The cause is really two things, and it comes from boasting and celebrating. We boast in the wrong things, and we celebrate the wrong things. So the cause is that we boast in the wrong things, that we find our identity, and we boast in the wrong place. Look at verse 23. He says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, and let not the rich man boast in his riches. Fascinating the word boast there. The word boast there, uh, if, and I was really struck by this as I was studying this week. In the Hebrew, it's the word hallelujah. It's just missing the yah. Because hallelujah is praise to Jehovah. So it's a composition of words brought together. But this is saying that the problem with so many people, and that people who don't get it within the church and within their own lives, is that they are praising the wrong things. And you would go further as a Hebrew scholar that you are, and you would see that it's in the reflexive sense, and that's actually an internalized sense of saying, you are praising yourself. You are praising the things about you. It's internalized. And you're saying this, I, 
I am praiseworthy because I'm smart. I am praiseworthy because people come to me and ask me for advice. I am praiseworthy because I am one who has might. I'm seen as a person with, person with stature in the community, or I'm strong, or, or, or my body is strong, and I'm vigorous in these things, and I praise myself uh, in this way. Oh, I boast in them, and I boast in my riches. I boast in the fact that I have a lot of stuff, and that I'm going to have more toys at the end of the day than anybody else. And I boast uh, in my 401k, and I boast in my checking account, and I boast in these. I praise myself. It seems a little more sinister than boasting, doesn't it? When you change the word to what it actually should be, and that's praise. For what he says is probably at the heart of the cause of the problem of why we are not caring for the needs of others, the least of these as we should, as Christ wants us to, is because we're praising ourselves too much. That we like being needed. That we are so desperate to find our identity in these things that we keep going like this to find more and more of it. And it drives us, it motivates us, it identifies us. That we found our identity here in these things. In other words, as one writer put it, in other words... What all the people in verse 23 are trying to do is they're trying to find a way to get applause, acclaim, accolades, and approval. They want thunderous applause deep in their hearts. In other words, every person in verse 23 is saying, I am praiseworthy, I am love-worthy, I am important, I am valuable, I am significant because I have that. It's identity. I am somebody. I am not nobody. Because I have that. And that thought process, that boasting, that praise, that intention of the heart is one of the greatest causes of why we don't care for the needs of others. Because how in the world could you be seen as weak in the eyes of a culture? How could you give away your wealth when that's what you have to have to identify yourself? How could you possibly associate with people and look unwise to a world around us that says leaders don't do that? Leaders lead. They don't serve. You don't get your hands messy. You leave that to government agencies. You do this or we stand and we critique. How could you you possibly allow yourself to lose anything in those categories and all the other categories of Scripture that are highlighted? You can't because you have to have them for your identity. What would you do without your wealth? What would you do without your smarts? What would you do uh, without your body and your vigor and your might? For so many of you, you'd be absolutely lost. Absolutely lost. And that's why the industries within our country just feed them, don't they? Hey, you don't want to lose your might and your vitality? Take this pill. Have this surgery. Then you'll, you'll have your might all the way until you're put in a pine box. And you'll look really good doing it. Hey, just follow this green path right along. And as it follows and leads you along, you're going to have enough money so that when you're 75 years old, you will have more money than you know what to do with. Problem is, you may not live past tomorrow, but they never want to add that in the fine print. But we'll do everything in our power to help you keep feeding that identity. And the idea of giving it away, ah, 
We have to get rid of it. So you see, at the very cause is that we boast and identify ourselves in the wrong places. The cause also is that we celebrate the wrong things. We celebrate an outward religion instead of an internal transformation. Look at verse 25. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. What he's saying is this. You celebrate the fact that you look good as Christians. You celebrate the fact that we've got a big church, we've got lots of things going on, and that we go to church, and that we're very religious, that we can say wonderful prayers, that we can name all 66 books in the Bible in the proper order, and all 12 disciples, and even add on the 13th one. Uh, and we can do this, and we can do that, and we look good on the outside. We're as righteous, as good-looking as the Pharisees of the New Testament. And Jesus said, you tithe even dill and mint. You are willing to follow the law so much. You have such an external picture of religion that you think that you've got it all down pat. And you even tithe. You have two pieces of mint and you give away a part of it to the Lord. Oh, that's awesome. Except this. You don't feed the hungry person that you walk by on the way to temple and synagogue and church on Sunday morning. You look good. You celebrate the external form of religion. But yet your heart isn't changed. He said, that's a massive problem within the church. It's this circumcision. He says, yeah, you got the external marks. You walked the aisle maybe twice. You got baptized at least once. And you've done all of this stuff. And you're all looking good on the outside. And you look pretty good today, folks. You look wonderful. But the question becomes, as you leave this place, as anything that we've talked about, taking root, and so that our hearts are going to be changed and motivated in a different way with the cause that we find for why we as individuals and as churches and as a church here at Hilton Head Press, why we aren't serving and caring for the needs of others and the least of these over and against our own to a point of where we are at want. Giving within the scripture is giving that is always to a point of the person giving is giving not out of their excess, but out of what they have with their very little that they have. Part of the reason, at least in this passage, is that we boast in the wrong things and celebrate the wrong things. So what's the consequence? If that's the case, what's the consequence? Well, the consequence isn't just that we're not serving the needs of the poor. The consequence is actually an incredibly sinister and incredibly overwhelming. That's why I pointed you back uh, to verse 20. Hear, O women, the word of the Lord, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters a lament, and each to her neighbor a dirge. Not a festive song, but a funeral song. Death has come up into our windows, has entered into our palaces, cutting off the children from the streets. The context into which Jeremiah is speaking is the context of death. It says that death has entered in that society and that the church and that our lives are poisoned even to the point of death. That these causes just don't lead us to an ineffectiveness in our ministry. It actually leads to death within the community. And the picture that he says here, think of the picture uh, that's there. And it's grotesque and it's overwhelming if you allow your mind's eye to go there. He's saying, hey, the kids can't even go play in the square because the dead bodies are piled up. 
that your windows in the evening, that you want to sit and smell uh, the nice smell of the water coming off of Lake Galilee, uh, of coming off of the plains, but you can't because they're overwhelmed with the stench of rotting corpses and bodies that are there. That you can't even go out because death is there in your midst. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall dead. That's the original song, by the way. The black plague ring, red ring, uh, or black ring around the red rosy, pocket full of posy, you had to sniff, snuff, because the smell of death in the streets was so overwhelming. Ashes, ashes, we all fall dead. That's a song of lament. And he's saying, folks, because of your wrong trajectory, because of your heart being set on the wrong things, because you celebrate in all of the wrong places, you're experiencing death. You're not experiencing life. You're not experiencing a a, a flourishing in that way. And some of you are going, Bill, I'm not not experiencing death. I mean, no one's dying around me. But what he's saying, at least in our context, is he's saying this, you're not experiencing the fullness of life that God's giving you. And what you're actually feeding on is ashes instead of all the good food that God's given you. And it's causing your body to revolt. It's causing your soul to die within you. And you look around and you wonder, why is my heart like this? Why is it like this? I hear from so many of you that say something like this, Bill, I don't want to be the person that I am. I find myself so angry And I find myself so resentful of everybody. I'm bitter. I'm lost. I'm just filled with hate and rage that's right under, right under the surface. And you're just waiting for a roundabout so somebody can cut you off that you can feel justified. You can go, that person, you're waiting for somebody's dog to poop in your yard that you can just be angry about it. Just be be righteous in your indignation and you're looking around and you wonder why you blow it with your kids and kids you blow it with your parents and you're just going there's something not right it's death it's death it's the stench of death that's in there and it's saying why won't I serve the needs of my wife because I'm demanding from her life And she's supposed to serve me. I'm not supposed to serve her. And she's looking at you going, you're supposed to serve me. I'm not supposed to serve you. And you both sit there like this. And you wonder and someone goes, how's married life? It's good. We're awesome. This is fun. And you go to bed cold and tired. And you wake up in the next morning cold and tired. And you look at the church and you go, why isn't the church? Why don't I come alive when I'm with the church? Why, when I go to life group and I go to Sunday school and I go to worship and I go do all this and it's okay, but it's just something's not right. And you walk out and you're like, oh, it's the smell of death of a whole bunch of religious people who gather together in the midst of their hypocrisy and behind all of their masks. And they stand there and they say that it's okay and they raise hands before God and they go out and they just don't, they don't even seem to know Jesus at all as soon as they pull out, or even as they're pulling out of the parking lot. And you go, this doesn't smell right. And then you realize it's the smell of death. So how do we change this? 
Come back next week. <laughs> Just meditate on that one for a while. Well, the cure is right there in this awesome passage. But let him who boasts, verse 24, let him who boasts and boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That he understands and knows me, says the Lord. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You want to know the key to change? Find your identity in God. Find your identity in Christ. Believe what he says about you, not what anybody else says about you. Believe what he's speaking to you today and is saying to you today in all of his vast wisdom, in all of his vast might, in all of his covenant faithfulness, in all of his righteousness. Know him, believe him, find your identity in him. Hallelujah. Praise the fact that you who are a mess, and by the way, can I get an amen for anybody in here a mess? Man, yeah, in the church, great. It's filled with a bunch of messy people. And I hate to break it to you. We've painted and we've carpeted and we've covered up and we've made it just a really nice place for messy people to gather. And the beauty is this, that we not only just celebrate our messiness, but we celebrate this. Ah, I boast. If I boast at all, I'm going to boast in this, that through Christ, he's made me his own. I have everything in him that I ever could have dreamed or imagined, and then some. And he knew me because he formed me in my mother's womb and knew me even before the foundation of the world. And he, out of his great mercy, called me out of death into life. And he stirred my heart that it would respond to the things that the scriptures say. And that I could have faith enough to believe. And that I am now his forever and will never be lost. And I will forever be loved. And I will be delighted in. And I will be given more than I ever could have asked or imagined in Christ Jesus. That is who I am. And that is what I celebrate today. And so in the midst of a people and the cure for what ails us as individuals and the cure for what ails us as a church is we need to hit again and again and again and again our identity in Jesus Christ. Of who you are in Christ. And seeing that. And if you don't know who you are in Christ, please humble yourself enough today to look to somebody and go, I don't get any of this stuff. Or I've been trying for so long to be my own man and to be my own woman and to earn my way into heaven and all I keep smelling is death in my nostrils and I'm tired and I'm nauseated and I pray that whoever you turn to will tell you, let me introduce you to my Savior who will take you off of the death heap out of the tomb and bring you into new life and he will give you a life that will spring forth so much so that you will have different eyes and that you're going to walk onto the campus. Young people, I want to challenge you tomorrow, not tomorrow, uh, on Tuesday. When you go to your campuses, look around differently. Look for the kid who everybody picked on, and maybe you're that kid. 
And I want you to walk on confidently onto that campus. And I want you to look around. And I want you to see and extend the love of Christ to somebody who no one else is loving. And parents, I want you to do the same thing in your relationships, in your homes, and in your work, and in your neighborhoods. That we look around and we say, out of the overwhelming vastness of what we've been given in Christ Jesus, I can love somebody else. I can give away. I can care for the least of these. Because so what if somebody says, what's McCutcheon hanging out with that guy for? I could care less what you think about me if I care what God thinks about me. And that, that trumps your opinion of me. I'd like you to like me. But folks, if you don't, I'll be okay. I really will. I might cry to Lisa this afternoon. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's okay. Because I've known God. And I know what he thinks about me. And all of a sudden, in knowing him, those things, those things that are part of him become a part of me. And I serve. And I care for the least of these. And it's in every sphere of life. It's in the sphere of the church. I don't remember which pastor it was. It's used so many times. Talking about the church. It's like a football game at Death Valley. That there's 22 players who are in desperate need of rest and 90,000 fans in desperate need of exercise. The church is the same way. There are some folks here, and I'm not speaking to you, who serve to the point of us saying to them, stop. Take care of your own family. But they love the church and they serve in so many ways. But there are so many needs that we have. I'll say this, and I've got to be tight on closing. I'm a preacher's kid. I've been in the church my whole life. I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life, but I've been in the church my whole life. And I've been a pastor for a long time. And I'm going to say this to challenge us as a church, but it's something I observe in our own church, and I think it's important for us to be honest, even in the observations of our own church. I've never been in a church that pays nursery workers. Ever, until I came here. We pay people to take care of our children. The least of these. And you want to know why we do? We can't get anybody to do it. We can't get anybody in the body of Christ to consistently and constantly serve the needs of somebody else. And Janice, the large part of Janice, if you ever want to be a children's minister, here's what you need to know is at the heart of being a children's minister. Begging. Begging the body of Christ to help care for kids who can't care for themselves. To teach them the stories of Jesus. I'm so thankful for Audrey Golden. I don't know if she's still alive or not, but I'm so thankful for Audrey Golden that when I was in 5K, I was a five-year-old, I walked into Audrey Golden's Sunday school class in Cape Girardeau, Missouri at Westminster Presbyterian Church, and there she was. And when I was in first grade, it was a smaller church, I walked in on Promotion Sunday, and you guess who I got promoted to? Audrey Golden. And in second grade, Audrey Golden. And in third grade, Audrey Golden. And in fourth grade, guess who? Audrey Golden. Fifth grade, sixth grade. I was so excited to get into seventh grade because that's when Chip Howard uh, was going to be, and he was a hippie who had come to faith, and he loved to play the guitar barefoot. And I was like, I can't wait to get into seventh grade uh, and be with this hippie who came to love Jesus. But you know what I saw in the middle of all of that was Audrey Golden. And Audrey Golden faithfully served every single Sunday that she was in town to care for the children of Westminster Presbyterian Church. 
We need some Audrey Goldmans. We need some people to step in, even to the ministries of the church, to get coffee and to greet and to help and to do, to do all the least of these ministries. For you see, they flow out. They start here at home. For we're not going to start going out and caring elsewhere if we can't even take care of our own house. So let's start here together, ministering to one another well. And from that overflow, we're going to be heading out into the community. I promise you that. And in the meantime, guess who's already out in the community? You are. Go and love the least of these. And I'll end with this and invite the worship team to come on back up. At the end of the day, it says that God delights. He delights in us when we find our identity in him and we get on board with what he's doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in Christ. We thank you for the challenge even of Jeremiah because we may not be able to see it, but we can sense it. Death, not life, in our own hearts, in our minds, and maybe even in the life of the church. And I pray that we would see the cure. And the cure would be that we would see Christ in us and be transformed in us and serve out of that overflow in us. And that we would go from here caring for the needs of your people into the community, caring for the needs of all of those who are around. Would you give us new eyes to see, new hearts to beat, new words to say, new tears to cry, new laughs to laugh, and a new vision that looks up and we see in Christ alone. To him be the glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing this last great hymn in Christ alone.